This is the Marketing Podcast Network. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Well, hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm very excited to introduce you to Barbara Lynn Probst. Barbara is an award-winning author of contemporary women's fiction. Her acclaimed novels, Queen of the Owls and The Sound Between the Notes, were gold and silver medalists for prestigious national awards, including the Sardin and Nautilus Book Awards. The Sound Between the Notes was also selected by Kirkus Reviews as one of the best indie books of 2021. She joins me today to discuss her career and latest novel, The Color of Ice. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Barbara. Well, I'm delighted to be here. This is where I have to give my little disclaimer because <laughs> I'm sitting in my daughter's house. There's this mirror, right? So it looks like a halo. So just go with it. Just consider me celestial. <laughs> we, 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 I will not continue any, consider you anything but celestial. Um, it's actually a requirement to be on this program. You have to there be celestial to, to be on here. But uh, to the celestial Barbara, where does your story as an author begin? You know, it's a wonderful question. I was thinking about it today because from each of my three novels, there was a moment. There was something that happened that were, were the seed. And in this case, if you don't mind a slightly long anecdote, um, it was February of 2020 and I had was ready for the publication of Queen of the Owls and the next book was already done. And I just wanted to do something wild. And I signed up to take a glass blowing lesson, just like, why not? It was in a place near me and I knew nothing about it. And I thought, well, what the heck? So when I went for this lesson, I got very interested and I thought, well, I'd like to come and watch this woman working. And so I went back and she was explaining to me each thing and she showed me this thing called the punty scar. And what that is, is when a piece, a piece is formed on a pipe, but when you're done, you have to break it free. If you leave it on the pipe, when it cools, it will shatter and it will not survive. So it has to be removed from its, the place that, that allowed it to bloom and become beautiful. And so suddenly, I thought, what is, this is a story of someone who has to leave the person who allowed her to become her real beautiful, fulfilled self that she didn't know she could be. And whether 
how that leaving would happen, I didn't know. But there was that moment when I saw the punchy scar, or I understood it, that I, I had my story idea. And then I said, well, it has to be something to do with glass blowing because this metaphor is so intrinsic. And also, of course, my books are always framed around art. The first book was framed around the art of Georgia O'Keeffe, painting and photography, both actually. And the second around music, because I am a, what they call a serious amateur pianist. What that means is I don't do it professionally. And the reason I'm serious is I pay money for lessons <laughs> and I'm just fool around. So, um, but I had no idea I was gonna write a book about glass flowing, but that was the, the moment when the spark was lit. And, you know, other things of course fed into it later, many other things I could talk about, but each of my books has had one moment that I never saw coming. It just happened. I wasn't sitting there outlining, you know, and I, for me, without that moment and that that sort of passionate, yes, yeah, I would be able to put all the time in. Yeah, what what I really love about that story is just that moment, just that moment that any other person might just not even reconsider, you know, for another moment, um, you know, just having gone through that experience and just be being open to then creation coming forth from there. I think that's um that that's like a that's like a superpower I think many authors have is the the ability to capture like a very mundane not that not that this is mundane but you know something that that happens every day that another person just wouldn't even think twice about um and and you you had a story idea come right from it. Well, I think it's very interesting what you're saying because my experience mm -hmm. is that there's a com a dance let's say between what I would call the subconscious and the conscious mind. This was very much a message from, not from my thinking part. I mean, I'm very intellectual. I have a PhD, blah, blah, blah. So it's not from that part of my brain. Well, I'm not, you know, I mean, it's, it was cool getting it. I mean, I don't denigrate <laughs> it because it was like- I should pop. have said Dr. Probst. Now I, now I feel no, no, better. No, I, don't, I don't use it in the writing world. But anyway, <laughs> so there's this intellectual part that you need later to work through the craft, the skill. But there's also this, this, information, messages, a calling, knowledge, connections that all come from the subconscious, which is that's what it was. And that these two have to be in a kind of dance. That's that's how I see it. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit more about your backstory. Um, you know, did, did you know that you, you always wanted to be a writer or what was, you know, just bring me back in time a little bit. Okay. Well, it'll be more than a little bit given the gray hair, but okay. Um, because, no, really, because I wrote my first book when I was seven years old. It was fully illustrated. It was called At Home With Us. And it was the story of Tessa and Rita Ryan. I, so I was always writing. And um, very, I had a very complicated life. But for, for a, a period of time, I wrote a lot of nonfiction. And um, not just academic stuff, but I wrote a book for parents raising quirky kids, depathologizing those labels, um, blah, blah, blah. So I read a lot of that. And then at a certain point, I just got tired of that part of myself. <laughs> and I, I just, I've, I'm, I'm, I've changed careers many times. So then I went back, I thought, well, you know what? I've always wanted to write fiction. I had a novel I had written several times badly um, in some drawer, in some box in the attic, you know, and I started with trying to redo that and it no it was really bad I had to let that the go and 
find a storyteller's story, not a personal, not a memoir disguised as fiction, right? And um, so I think it was the fulfillment of something that's always been, I've always written one for, I wrote poetry for, oh God, who didn't, you know, like, like different kinds of writing. So. Yeah. Well, I'm curious at something you said, which was that you had many different careers. Um, tell me a little bit about that. What, what, what was the first? Hi. Um, <laughs> first was probably, um, well, I was trained as an anthropologist, but I dropped out of grad school because I was just too young to make that commitment. And then I became an elementary school teacher. Then I worked in the business world. I ran a nonprofit in New York City, uh, helping businesses do stuff for the public schools, which were in dire need of all kinds of help. That was a, really a fun job. And then um, I became a full-time mom. And then I got an, a social work degree and I started working with families uh, of quirky kids. I One guess why. And um, I ran workshops and I did presentations all over the country and that was a passion. Then that morphed into going back to get a doctorate and I became a professor and researcher and um, worked with helping grad students figure out what they wanted to study and I researched mental illness and you know I've just and each thing I've done has fed me and I don't see how anyone can write good fiction that's really speaks to our humanity without having lived and been interested in people because each of my careers had to do with people. Yeah, I was going to say that's the one sort of through line for, for all of the things you've done is they're very people oriented. And I, I go back even to your, you know, talking about, you know, studying anthropology. Mm -hmm. um, what's more people focused than that? I mean, it's a. Uh... Yeah. And what makes people tick? Because, you know, to, I want to write the, I write the kind of books I like to read. Um, and to me, a good story is it's something original about it, but underneath it is something very human and universal. Universe, the universal couched in interesting particulars. You know, so my stories are about people, women who, in some way or another, feel something's missing, need to complete themselves in some way, open in some way. And this is so universal. Um, and um, so yeah, having worked as a therapist, as a parent advocate, as all these things definitely has given me a kind of preparation for writing. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about a few things. Um, one of them is, taking me back to when you were seven years old and you wrote that first <laughs> illustrated novel. What, 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 why, why did you do it? Was it a class assignment or was it a passion project? Oh, no, no, no. I just wanted to. I was like that kind of, like I was always writing plays and making my sister perform in them. And we did a family newspaper that I made my parents purchase. And I mean, I was always doing stuff like that, writing and creating. I was always that way. Um, I mean, I can just remember um, sitting, this is so wholesome, sitting up in the apple tree, like making up stories in my head, you know? So that's just like, I was just one of those kids. Yeah, no, I think that that's great. That's great. And then when you start writing fiction, having written so much nonfiction, um, just tell me about the the any any challenges you may have faced or um, you know, what was what was that? What was the, what was that transition like? That's a that's a great question. I don't usually get asked that. Um, 
I'm going to say, say two things off the, I mean, everything I'm saying is like completely in the moment because I haven't thought, you know, but I'm going to say two things that are contradictory. One is you have to forget everything that you know about writing. I was a very good nonfiction writer. I had tons of articles in the top journals. I was a reviewer for journals, you know, all that. So forget everything you think you think you know about writing, because this is a, this is different. At the same time, trust that you've learned some things about what makes a clean sentence, about how things move in, in an order that makes sense to the reader, um, and so forth. So. But I think they begin, well, uh, here's what's the same, is I do begin from an idea. Um, something, I want to, something I want to show. And that is that this part of the mind, which um, organizes all of the elements. So, you know, again, it's not as simple, it's not as simple, but for sure I had to go back and take a lot of classes and learn fiction writing. You can't go directly from being a good academic writer or trade parent book writer to writing a good story. You, you do. And then I went back and it was sort of fun to be a student again, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm really curious about like how, how the reverse would have worked out being, you know, starting from the point of view of a real talented storyteller and then bringing that to you know, writing journal articles and things like that. I wonder um, if our journals would be different <laughs> if, if we had more storytellers telling yeah, the story. Yeah, yeah, actually, that's interesting. I, I actually, I write monthly blogs on the craft of writing, which is a very, it, it's a very different kind of writing. It's not, it's a little warmer than academic writing, yeah. but it is still very much um, nonfiction, you know, but it's interesting. I got there, there, it, someone asked me to do this and I, I didn't have time, but th there is a movement in social work now to do academic writing that is more story-based of using a story of a person as the way to explicate something. And in fact, we always taught with case using cases. So um, there is, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question. I mean, the good fiction feels like it it's true and good nonfiction has that humanity in it. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting question. Yeah. I almost think, I mean, I think writing in many ways is therapeutic. Um, I think for certainly the writer or the author and, and hopefully sometimes the reader. Um, but as you're talking about the, uh, like this move in, in social work, to be more storytelling focused, I think of, I think of therapy and gee, wouldn't it be a great therapeutic exercise to ask, you know, your client, your patient, Hey, what, what has the story of your life been? And what do you want your story? Um, you know, your, your next story to be. Well, um, I have to tell you, there's a form of therapy called narrative therapy. That is very much like that. There's also a form of research where you collect stories. This is what I did. I was a narrative researcher. Well, I guess I was always doing that, wasn't I? And taking people's stories, one of my topics was, what does it feel like to live with a, a label of a mental illness? And I took all these stories and I extracted themes that I could talk about that would hopefully would help people understand and serve people better. But we are storytelling creatures. 
Every culture tells stories to make meaning of life, to teach lessons, to, you know, to enter to so many, to initiate. And this is like, I've written about this academically. It, it, you're, you're really, you're great because it is in every culture, in every part of life that we tell ourselves stories of who we are. And the question is who has the right to tell my story? That's a whole nother thing. It's about empowerment and, um, you know, all, all of, and you could say that in my novels, each of my protagonists wants to rewrite the story of who she is. She has a story from her childhood that she's internalized. And it's not that it's false, but it's not the whole of her. So she's seeking a new story, a larger story, a more joyous and empowering and generous story. Because that's where behavior comes from. It's from the stories we tell ourselves about how life works and, and, and how we're meant to be in life. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is a cool interview. I'm having a great time. <laughs> no, and, and uh, just to add on to the coolness, um, yeah. and I think where we get into trouble is when the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves are wrong. Um, because that happens. I mean, I, I've got someone very close to me in life who I know the story she tells herself um, is not right. You know, she believes the wrong thing about herself. And as a result, um, it places a lot of limits on her life. And I, you know, it's, it's challenging to get somebody to, to kind of reframe the story they tell themselves w without them accepting help for it. Yeah, she has to want to. But it's funny, as you as we're talking, I'm realizing, and if I could just take each of my novels, in The Queen of the Owls, the protagonist has a story of herself as the owl, the bookworm, the brainy one, not, not the sensuous, not the beauty. And she had to enlarge her story. In The Sound Between the Notes, the protagonist being adopted had a story about um, not being chosen. So she had a need or wanted. She had, a, she had to create, she was driven by this need to be chosen. And then she had to reconcile all of that. And in The Color of Ice, um, there's another, it's a little, that's not quite as straightforward, but the Catherine's story is about how she's in control, let's say. And she's had to do it all. She had to do it all, did what she had to do. And so she needs to just abandon control and take a huge risk and be very vulnerable in order to really learn again to love. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, powerful themes, powerful themes. And, and, you know, it sounds like for you, they start with this, something that happens, you know, subconsciously. Um, so how do we, how do people, how can people tap into that? Um, you know, cause I, I like to think about it as a superpower, but, um, you know, not in the, the Marvel cinematic universe way, but how can people like be, you know, more in tune to kind of what's going on just kind of just below the level of consciousness. You mean, this is apart from novel writing, you mean just, um, well, in general, I mean, I know that a lot of people who listen to this are writers and aspiring writers, um, yeah. It's yeah. One other thing, I'm going to answer first a little bit as a writer, but it's not. I'm, I'm not avoiding your question as just a person. Um, 
One of the things that's helped me, it's a technique which I actually stole from Don Moss, um, but that's fine as long as I use his name and I, <laughs> is having my protagonist sit across from me in my mind at the table, you know, and tell me off. Tell me how she sees me and what I'm not getting about her and how I am projecting my own hangups onto her. And this is so empowering because I let her speak to me and that helps me to be honest and then maybe laugh and relax. So I'm suggesting a technique like that, even if you're not a writer, whoever it is you want, tell me, how do you see me? What am I not understanding? And, and it's, it's, you have to do these things in both seriously and playfully. In other words, you have to, you have to, you can't be like, oh God, no, you can't be rolling your eyes while you're doing it. You have to just like go for it. Like what the heck? No one's going to want, no one's going to see, you know, but like really like I was shocked at what my protagonist told me. <laughs> I mean, it, it, things like taking a risk um, and getting in, looking at yourself from someone else's perspective, even if it's imaginary. I don't think a real person often doesn't work so well because there's too much dynamic going on in defense mechanisms, mm -hmm. but if you have some imaginary person, maybe it's it's someone, in a, a character in a novel that you love or a movie that you wish was sitting across from you and you would just want to hang out and have her give it to you straight. It's an interesting exercise. There's nothing to lose. Yeah, it, it is very cool. And you're right. I mean, if we're, if we're trying to do that with a real person, we're filtering everything where, you know, we're self-monitoring, if you will. Yeah, yeah. But it's helped my writing a lot because I discovered that I have a tendency in my books that initially my protagonists are always a little too snarky and brittle. Ha ha, I wonder why. So, um, <laughs> no, but I always, I mean, this is a pattern and I finally realized, okay, that's my default because something in my brain says, well, she has to have a journey to be more open. She's got to start off being kind of, kind of closed and, um, and intense and, you know, uh, stingy, emotionally stingy. And yes and no, but, but um, where am I going with this? So anyway, I, but I, it's a piece of self-knowledge that has, uh, that I came to me from my writing that I would say has actually been very empowering personally, that I stop and I kind of look at myself. Am I being just a little bit brittle or am I being more generous? and um, relaxed. So there can, I think the big secret with writing is that your books teach you. Writing helps you also. You wanna help the readers. You're writing for other people, not just for yourself. But, but it's in, for me, I find that my protagonists teach me. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um... You know, it's it's interesting. We think of fiction. We think of things that are just completely made up. But the fact of the matter is, there's there's a fair amount of truth in fiction. There's a fair amount of sort of realness mm -hmm. in there, um, and and a fair amount of lessons to be learned as well. Yes, it's just such a it's a great it's a great process. I totally love it. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Me too. Me too. So I'm curious. 
uh, to get to know you a little bit more. And one of the ways in which I do that is a series of questions, uh, some of which involve pop culture. So I'm curious, Barbara, uh, when you were growing up, what were some of your favorite TV shows? I didn't watch TV. <laughs> See, every now and then I get somebody who gives me that answer. Really? I just really didn't. I mean, um, very little, very little. We, You know, yeah. it just wasn't my, um, to this day, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I know you were reading in that apple tree. Yeah. The reception may not have been good up there. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, it would, I could, it would be a stretch, but yeah. there were no TV shows that were like influential, if that's what you. Yeah. What, what yeah. Mean. Were you into movies or anything like that? Or. Um... Yeah. Uh, I remember um, Dr. Zhivago. I wanted to be Laura. Um, and you know some of those big romantic movies. I can't. That one I remember. I was really young, and um, and um, oops, I, mean, I already sound too old. I was like three years old when it came out. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, you know, uh, it's hard to remember now. Uh, it's just you know, I I, I might have prepared if I'd thought about it, but um, uh, I was always more of a reader. Yeah. Yeah. How about music? Uh, I know you're, um, how did you characterize yourself? A serious amateur? Yeah. Um, what were you listening to? What were some things you'd like to listen to? When I was a teenager? When, when you were, yeah, when you were younger, yeah. Um, well, but see, I'm, this is going to just give away how old I am. I have to be really careful how I am. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, oh, you know, of course, I was in love with Jim Morrison, and, you know, <laughs> the doors, you know, all that stuff. And then later, oh, the Eagles, all that Joni Mitchell, duh, you know, and um, Dylan and all of those. I was that generation, you know, singer, um, singer songwriter types. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, um, a lot of other people, you probably, and then I was really into, um, a sort of uh, Southern blues, you know, uh, Mississippi John Hurt and all of these blues singers and stuff. They were so cool. Reverend yeah. Gary Davis, all those people. Um, and people you've, no one's ever heard of. And, um, um, you know, so that, and then of course I had, um, I did have a classical music button, but my dad was like as insane as I am. He used to turn the lights off in the, make my sister and I sit on chairs in a dark living room and listen to Tchaikovsky's violin concerto. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so eclectic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very eclectic, very eclectic. Um, yeah. um, as a writer, how do you feel um, when you're looking at a blank page or, um, you know, a blank computer screen? What, is, what does the blank page do for you? Well, I, I don't think I would ever have that experience of pulling up a new document without having an idea of what I wanted to do. That's not my way. Yeah. Um, I, I don't write unless I have something I want to write. I don't, I don't believe in that seat in the chair for X number of minutes a day thing. Um, when I'm on a roll, you, you know, I won't go to bed. And um, sometimes if I'm stuck, I'll take a walk. Um, but I don't just pull up a, a document unless I have a feeling for what I, I might throw it away. I mean, I might delete it, but um, I'm already there before I take that out. I'm not answering yeah. these questions the way anybody No, else. no, no, this is great. This is great. I love, I love the notion of um, getting out, moving, taking a walk if you're stuck. Um, My best ideas actually, to be honest, come to me in the shower. <laughs> yeah, I've heard I that think, before. I think it's because 
Well, first of all, most people take a shower when they've just gotten out of bed, so you're not fully in gear. Something is loosened in the brain. And then you're under this pounding hot water. You're not thinking. You're just in your body. And something is loose. And I'll solve problems that, uh, story problems that way. I wish yeah. I could solve my life problems, but story <laughs> problems in the shower. Um, and, um, uh, or, or walking. I mean, the ending of my new book, which um, I do, do need to plug a little bit. Of course. Uh, <laughs> came to me. It was not there originally. It came to me on a walk. And I just knew. I just knew. Yeah. I mean, I know we don't want to give away the ending and you've told us a little bit about the color of ice, but uh, what more uh, would you like to share about the color of ice? Well, as I said, it, it's framed around a glass blower, which is already a wonderfully rich because glass is an incredible substance. It's molten. It's neither liquid nor solid. It's in movement all the time. And if you, when you're working with glass, if you stop moving, it, it breaks, it falls off. You have to, you have to be responsive. The glass blower has an idea, but yet he or she has to be responsive to the material. So right there, you can see something about the story about a woman wanting to be like, like the glass actually. The other thing that's very cool about this book is that it's set in Iceland. So how that happened, I had been to Iceland a few years ago with no idea of writing a book. I mean, if I had, I would have taken more than the hundreds of pictures, you know, I would have done things that I, I, you know, it wasn't a research trip, it was just a fun trip. But I, when I was thinking about, about uh, glass and I'm thinking about ice, cause they sort of look the same. Um, and I went and I remembered there's a, there's a, um, a lagoon in Southern Iceland. It's made of these blue icebergs. It's really magical. And I thought, I wonder, wouldn't a glassblower have this idea of, could, could they want to depict these blue icebergs in the form of glass? So that's where this thing came of setting the book in Iceland. And as it turned out, Iceland also helped shape the story just as glass. It wasn't like I wrote a book and then just stuck it in Iceland, you know? Yeah. It could only have happened there. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh really uh really cool. Um uh and Iceland is is one of those uh countries I've always wanted to go to. It's on my bucket list of, of places to go. Well, because yeah. it's known as the land of fire and ice. Yeah. When you go there, it, the thing is you think people were not meant to live here. It's a really there's these thermal uh fields with this mm -hmm. weird, weird sulfuric stuff bubbling up it looks like you'd imagine mars would look yeah and then there's these incredible gorgeous mountains snow covered in glaciers and waterfall it's like an incredible incredible country so it um i wrote the book during covid quarantine so i couldn't go back <laughs> but i was i i mean at least at that time i immersed myself you know in my photos and research and um, I was very fortunate because glass and ice both showed me, you know, they, they were like, um, as I said, it wasn't, it was also, it wasn't like I wrote a book and I suddenly made it about glass, you know, right. it couldn't, been, it couldn't have been about a tuba player or a, um, or a wood carver. It just couldn't have been, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. Had to be. Um, if you could go back in time and give your younger self some words of advice, what would you tell, you know, maybe it's that, that younger Barbara sitting in the apple tree, um, (laughs) or you, you pick the age, but what, what would you tell your younger self? Look, just don't worry so much about what people think of you. It's, you know, there's, there's an expression in Iceland, actually, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it, pay the regast, which means basically it'll all work out in the end. And so I spent a lot of time, like a lot of, um, I was very tall and skinny and brainy, you know, worrying that I wasn't good enough and I wasn't pretty enough and and people, you know, I mean, we all do, but uh, I mean, we all worry about, and that's like, just, just um, don't worry and be more interested in, be yourself, just be yourself, love yourself. Yeah, I love it. I love that's a great point uh, to wrap on. However, before we before I say goodbye, um, you mentioned having a blog uh, uh, that you keep. Um, where can people go to um, look at your uh, your writing blog and, and get in touch with you? Well, actually, I blog from for Writer Unboxed, but I do publish them on my repost them on my own website. Um, Writer Unboxed is an incredible site. I recommend it highly to anyone interested in the writing life. But uh, my website, surprise, www.barbaralynnprobst.com. <laughs> One word smushed together. And the Lynn has an I, not a Y. So L-I-N-N. It's just, and, and they have my books. I have um, a lot of cool photos from my adventures, um, which I haven't even talked about my Georgia O'Keeffe adventures. But um, yeah, it's a fun website. Yeah, and I'll be sure to put that in the show notes so people don't have to worry about writing everything down. Um, and then are you active on social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube? Well, I really mostly, I know it's, I mostly feel comfortable on Facebook. I'm working on trying to be a better Instagram citizen. But um, but yes, I, I po- in fact, I'm currently posting a lot of cool Iceland and glass blowing stuff, um, especially on Facebook. But you can just look at for fun, even if you don't buy the book. Um, and it's Barbara Lynn Probst. Surprise, surprise. You'll find me. I'm the only one with that name, which makes it easy. Yes, very much so. Well, uh, Barbara Lynn Probst, this has been a great conversation. Uh, and just as a reminder, everybody, the book is The Color of Ice. I imagine, Barbara, it's it's wherever books are sold. Absolutely. There we go. And I always like to say, go to your local bookstore and ask for it. Um, yes. because we like to, uh, they, they had a hard time during this pandemic, uh, which, uh, they claim is over. I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you can support your local bookshop, the color of ice, the Arthur author, <laughs> the Arthur <laughs> Dudley Art, Moore just Art. came in my head. Uh, <laughs> is Barbara Lynn Prost. Barbara, this is a great conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been great. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.